1: On today's program, we're talking with Marvin Askew. He's the executive director of the Buffalo City Ballet. Hi, Marvin. Hi, how are you? Great, and thanks uh, for coming in and, and joining us. Uh, it's, it, there's a lot of elements to this are, that are interesting. I want to get into the city ballet and what you guys are doing and who you teach. But I want to talk just a little bit about your personal story to start things off here. Take us back to a teenaged Marvin Askew and how he ended up getting into to ballet. Teenage Marvin, ask you.
3: <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I started dancing at uh, Clinton Junior High School. Um, at that time, uh, well, now it's called uh, Buffalo Performing Arts, but um, Clinton Junior High. Um, I was a you know 13, 14 year old kid um, that had no rhythm whatsoever. You know, <laughs> okay, wow. <laughs> no, that's that's the honest truth. You know. <laughs> okay. Um, wanted to play basketball. You know, we had a couple of guys that were, you know, at that time were superstar and I, you know, I wanted to be like them. And I was told, you know, I could I couldn't dribble very well. I couldn't shoot very well. And so I was told, well, you know, you take dance to help you out with your footwork. OK, you know, and then I had people who was telling me, yeah, you know, just like the football player, you know, like Lin Swan, you know, from, you know, Pittsburgh Ballet, you know, and, you know, he was taking secret ballet lessons and helping with his. His athletic ability, you know, with the team. So I figured, okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, you know. <laughs> so me and fourteen year fourteen other boys, you know, from the community went went uh, went there, um, and we were taking class. Um, and then we got in there and, and realized, you went to Buffalo but, City Ballet. Um, no, at, at, at this school. time, this is it, at school. This, it wasn't Buff. Yeah, okay. it was just at the school. But the the uh, instructor who was Carl Singeter, at that time, um, was developing you know the Buffalo City ballet. I gotcha, And um so he would bring you know his young female dancers, you know, to the you know to the uh, school with him, you know, as you know where they would um he would use them as example, you know, to demonstrate what the movement is and then we would have to follow them. You know. And then, of course, you know, we were like, wow, these, you know, these beautiful young, you know, black girls, you know, of course, all, you know, 14 of us, you know, like fighting over, I'm going to get to meet that one. Sure, know. sure. And so, you know, we'll get into the stretch class and, you know, just, you know, being on the floor, working out with the young ladies and, you know, I started realizing that this is something that I can do. And... So as the you know time went on, I became very skilled in terms of partnering and um, learning how to lift the girls, how to turn them the proper way, you know, how to hold my balance. Did you, you know. have
1: any interest in ballet before this? No, none whatsoever. <laughs> and probably most of your friends didn't either. No, no. Okay. okay. You know, um, <clears throat>
3: but like I said, you know, we would get in there, you know, and uh, so the instructor would tell us, you know, you know, just think of you got a basketball in your hand, and you, you know, and you, you know, and you switching from side to side, you know learning how to work the balance of the ball. Well, you have to do the same thing with the girl. Wow. So we put our hands, you know, between the girl's waist. So if it's too far right, you got to pull her left, you know. So we realize, oh, okay, it's just, you know, the same mechanics, you okay. know. Okay. All right. Interesting. And, um, you know, so we, you know, um, started doing that, and I became very skillful in that. So whenever I got it, a chance to partner up with a girl, you know, It was easy. I would get in there and start spinning her and kept her on her center and, you know, and so every time, you know, a production or something like that would come up, I had the young ladies coming to me. Oh, you know, you know, they'll stand next to me because they wanted me to be their partner because they realized that you could do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, so that's when I, you know, I realized, okay. uh, I can do this, and um, and after a while, you know, you know, I was getting um, invites from various schools that were willing to have me come in to dance with the girl, and they would pay me five hundred to a thousand dollars, you know, for a weekend to perform. And I realized, oh, I can make some money at this, you know, right. I, you know, instead of me being at the local supermarket, you know, carrying somebody' bag of grocery
1: for a few bucks. Right. You know? And so, and j- just, just to take us back then. So we're talking about in the seventies in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. What was life like for a teenager uh, who was growing up in the city of Buffalo? Uh, it, it was rough. I grew up in um, Tauber Mall at that
3: time. That's on Jefferson and um, Clinton. And uh, there was a lot of gang violence, you know, um, not like you see today. Okay. You know, but we had them too, you know, where that, um, you know, Young you know black males running around with guns and stuff like that. Um, there, it was it was the threat of shooting you, you know, mm-hmm. but you know no one ever really pulled the trigger. Gotcha, <laughs> you know so compared to now, you know um, um, it, the, as far as you know gun violence, you know um, you know you had young gun mem- uh, gang members, you know, if they would fire the gun, most likely they were firing up in the air you know to scare you, <laughs> right <laughs> you know. And but even at that time, the just the the thought, you know, um, and um, so i I, I made a, a pledge to myself, if I ever have the opportunity to um, leave that situation, I'm going to, you know. And so um, through dance was the 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 best way, you know. And um, I after um, graduating from high school. I um, won several scholarships to American Ballet Theater and New York City Ballet and took the, those opportunities to go to New York and study, you know, even further, you know, and being in same room, like, uh, in the same classroom with superstars like Mikhail Baryshnikov, and wow. you see Rudolf Nureyev or, you know, uh, Fernando Bohonis, you know, you were just like, wow, you know, I want to be like that, you know? So then I start doubling my class, you know, so I was taking anywhere between... Um, two to three classes a day, six days a week, you know, mm-hmm. just to get to close to that level,
1: you know. How, uh, uh, how many black men were, were, were training to dance back then?
3: Um, not many, and if you were black and you were in dance, you know, you were often pushed to, um, to go to Dance Day of Harlem, you know. Oh, okay. At that time in the 70s was either Dance Day of Harlem or Alvin Ailey. You know, and those are the two major black dance company out of New York. And so if you were black, you either went to one of those two, right. you know. Uh, but because of my style of training, the Russian training, you know, and I had all these Russian instructors, you know, and uh, so I felt that I could compete with most white dancers in terms of white companies. So I didn't want to be targeted, you know, just because you were a black dancer, You had to go there. Sure you know, sure. so which I did audition for um, um, Dance of Harlem and um, the director Arthur Mitchell told me basically, uh, you know, we, we you know, I have to retrain you, you know, <laughs> and I was like, you know, at that time I didn't understand exactly what he meant by retraining me, but I think he meant retraining me for that particular style that he wanted me to perform with that company. And, uh, and I felt, well, my training was better than that style of dance. So I'm going to take my chance with, um, with one of the major white companies. So uh, for that Friday, you know, audition with Dancer How, I went to um, Pittsburgh and auditioned that Monday and got the job there. And so then I knew, you know, and felt comfortable where I was in terms of, you know, my style of training.
1: So you spent a lot of time uh, professional as a professional full-time ballet dancer in Pittsburgh. Yes. So yeah.
3: it, obviously I was uh, the first black member of Pittsburgh Ballet. Wow. At, you know. And even that was rough, you know, because what I realized was that, you know, even though you were good, you weren't going to get the opportunity. Now I did get one good opportunity uh, um where the the we were doing the um Elvin Ailey River, and the lead dancer, you know, principal dancer, um, had a foot injury, and so they didn't know what to do, so all the dancers were like, oh, wow, because you needed somebody who was a jumper and a turner, and I had possessed both of those skills, so a lot of the dancers were like, well, you know, let Marvin do it, you know, and, you know, so, um, the, the, uh, um, director of the company at that point in time, Pet Wild go, mm, no, you know. Hmm. <laughs> because, you know, the whole thing would be, you know, terms of being black, you know. So the 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 um the person who came in to set the, the production, um, just kinda spanned looked around the room and said, Okay, this is what I need. Who can do this? You know, so um so myself and about three other guys, you know, um took the part and And at the end, she goes, I want him to do it, you know, so I got to do the lead, (laughs) uh, you know, and got very good reviews in the paper, you know, and it wasn't until the, you know, I realized um, in terms of the director, she wasn't quite happy with it, you know, but she accepted it, you know, (laughs) but that's all that counts. (laughs) So
1: so you, you have a a nice career going there, but you're, you're commuting, you're, you're spending your your Uh, weekdays and weeknights in Pittsburgh, but your family's back here in Buffalo. Buffalo, Yeah.
3: And I would, I would drive home every weekend, you know, so after, unless they're, you know, um, a week of production, you know, I would drive home every weekend, um, leave um, right after Friday night rehearsal back in Buffalo within, you know, four hours. And then I would get up you know, early that Monday morning, drive back, you know, (laughs) get back, you know, in time of, you know, the first class and rehearsal, you know, by 10 o'clock. Wow. And I did that for a couple years, you know, and uh, it was rough.
1: Yeah. You had to make a a personal, professional decision then. Yeah, I had two.
3: two, uh, Actually, at that time, I only had one son. um, So I had to make a decision, you know. And um, so I felt, well, I need to, come back home <laughs> help raise him you know and w well, during that that time period i got a uh received another contract from missouri ballet you know and they were willing to hire me as a principal dancer and then my wife realized okay she's pregnant again wow <laughs> and, you know, wow so i had to make a choice you know take that contract or family so i the side of the family was over over the contract.
1: You stayed here in Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's it, when
3: I took over the to school.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Buffalo City Ballet. Um, so, what about the the Buffalo City Ballet? How many kids? Uh, tell me about the kids that are there. We uh, when I first took over the um,
3: the school, it was a sixty forty ratio, sixty white, forty black. You know, um, over the years, you know, that has reversed now. Is ninety percent black, you know, ten percent white. Ninety percent uh, black uh, from the city of Buffalo. From the city of Buffalo. Wow. And uh, so, my the thing that I'm always concerned is is giving young um, black girls an opportunity, you know, to um, at least learn, you know, how to um, learn about classical ballet, you know, and what it takes to become a ballerina, you know, and it's, and it's rough, you know. Um, I mean, it's rough. Any African American dancer, you know, t- in terms of dance, is going to have a hard life in terms of dance, unless you have someone that is that's going to take you under your wing. And you know, even if not just black dance, but even if you're 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 white, you know, okay. um, the most successful dancer always have someone that is is backing them financially, you know, because you can't really live off but you know your basic salary you know um you know so um you going you need someone that's um that's going to get you to and from all audition classes pay for your accommodation you know um you know up until you uh, become either a soloist or a principal dancer you know but even I, I see with even a lot of core member dancers, you know, um, they're from very wealthy families who's paying their rent still and paying, you know, or they're contributing to, you know, the, the ballet companies and then return those ballet companies, keep them on payroll. Okay. Because of the contribution they're getting from those families. Wow. You know, so that's, that's a l- something that happens quite frequently. So know, that so. Uh,
1: that's not generally happening to your, your students then obviously, no, right? No, yeah. no,
3: You know, what you, um, but what I provide for them is, you know, pretty much tuition free, you know, so they can come and take class, you know, um, basically at no cost at all, you know, um, what little fee that I may, you know, charge, you know, is, is maybe for like point shoes, um, to cover those costs or, um, keeping costume clean or having, you know, to provide new costumes or, you know. Right. Um, But what they learn, you know, is basically, you know, how to work together, you know, um, building up the self-esteem that, yes, I can do this. We don't turn away. I mean, excuse me, even if it's a child that has a weight problem, we don't turn them away, you know, because we want to build, you know, um, like, you know, even their self-esteem up to feel that, I can do this too, you know. And, you know, and do you with,
1: see that? I mean, do you see that then out of uh, these these young women that yeah, are like that? Yeah, yeah, You yeah. see uh, that that yeah. that they're getting there. There's a change in them. Like yeah, you said, there's, maybe if, if there's a weight problem involved. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, you know. I mean, if I mean, even <laughs> I have a few come in and you know we go and put them in a, a, a tutu and we go okay. That tutu is not going to close, you know, because. So we have to design something, uh, what we call an insert, in the back of the panels that widen out, so that that child can fit into that costume. You know, so you have to be creative. Right. <laughs> Where that a lot of schools not going to do that. Gotcha. You know? Because uh,
1: you find if, a way. If,
3: if you don't fit the costume, if you don't fit that that mold of what a dancer should look like, they're not even gonna look at you or consider you.
1: Wow. You know. So they're getting opportunities through your school. Yeah, yeah you know. that's excellent. Marvin Askew is our guest uh, this morning. He is the executive director of the Buffalo City Ballet. Uh, you got into it there a little bit about self-esteem, but and uh, we cannot kind of inter- uh, kind of guess at the the physical benefits of being able to to dance and stretch and the flexibility. But what about the art? Of it, how can you describe that, and what a student would get from understanding how to perform ballet?
3: Well, you, you, what you get is, uh, for example, um, you know, ballet is a syllabus. You know, so every you know every step has a name, and you know, so you have to learn how to execute that step. You know. And so, what I try to drive into each child is that, you know, if you know the basic uh, and understand the syllabus, everything else will work itself out. You know, so and I use this, you know, like um, I I often, you know, start off with the first thing they walk in the classroom is learning what a plié is, you know, and you know, so I would tell them. Pliés mean bending of the knee. Now, you don't have to be a dancer to understand. I mean, everybody, everyone is, you know, through their life is doing what we call a Or You're going upstairs, downstairs, okay. you're bending your knees. <laughs> you know, you're walking, you're bending your knees. Right. So it's just your, your placement, you know. So you have five basic positions that you have to learn. And you learn those five basic positions. And within, you know, if you take the first position, is basically, you know, heel to heel with your toes expanding outwards from, you know, from your body. You stand straight up, bend your knees. Try to bend your knees, but don't take your heels off the floor. Now you're in a half plie. Now, take your heels off the floor and go all the way down. You're in a full plie, you know. So it's, it's, it's. Getting them to understand that and every, what every movement means, you know, tendus, you know, means to stretch. So you're stretching your legs from your hip bone all the way down to your toe without bending your knees, you know. And when kids learn all, you know, how to execute those steps, you know, and, you know, and I go through it with them um, every day, you know, I see them, you know, and I test them on that, you know. And before we even start actually doing movement, you know, what does this mean? You know, and they got to tell me right off,
1: you know, you know, yeah. you seem like such a such a nice, easygoing guy. I have this hard time picturing you being this demanding ballet instructor. Well, how how well, how would you describe your, your instruction? Well, I,
4: you
3: know, I, I I'm more of a father figure. OK, <laughs>
1: you know, with the kids, you know, because they I mean, they
3: they call me Mr. Marvin. All know. right. Over the years, it's always Mr. Marvin, Mr. <laughs> Marvin, Mr. Marvin, you know. And um, but um I and, and sometimes I have this look, you know. I would go in, and I would look at them like, like a, like a father, like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you <sorry>. know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just give them a look like, no, uh, no, 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 and then they look at me like, I'm sorry. And then they they throw out what the. What it really means, and said, like, right. "Okay, I thought you knew what that step means. Why are you doing this?" <laughs>
1: you know, so and so
3: that's the way I, you know, I kind of operate. Sure, you know, sure, um, You know, was well, that case, how your teachers were? Um, no, <laughs> I, I know I had these little old Russian teachers to look at me in the eye and go, "You're never going to be anything." <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so
3: I would look back at am like, "Yeah, okay, I will prove you wrong." <laughs> you know, but that's the, you know, that's over the years how, you know, I mean, back in the 1670s they were just pure mean teachers. Wow. <laughs> you know. And their job was, you know, they walk in the classroom, was, okay, what young lady I'm gonna make cry today? Wow. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> that's the way they operate. Wow. You know? <laughs> so you always have somebody some ballerina cry, you know, and as a guy, we used to go in the classroom. And go, all right, who's going to be today? Take bets. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's the way, you know, but, you know, over the years, things have changed. You you know, you can't be that way with kids. Right. You know, I mean, you know, I, I I often say this is a sue Nation. Everybody ready to sue you, you know, if, you know, uh, cruelty, you're being mean. You're, right. You know, so I try to find, you know, uh, I don't know if I... Maybe I mellowed out over the year, you know, after having kids and you know, and now grandkids and you know, realize, you know, that, you know, you gotta find a way to reach them without being mean. Right, you know. Right. Right. So I would go into the classroom and, you know, I get my point across to the kids, but then at the time I make it very enjoyable for for them to be in the classroom, you know. And, um, I mean, I, I get out on the floor and I act sometimes just as silly as they do, but then I got to read them back in. Okay, let's get serious now. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> But, um, you know, um, you know, they're, they, you know, they're ready to run up for you and hug and, you know, especially now after the pandemic, I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> right they you right,
2: know?
1: Right, right, <laughs> and
3: right. being older and, you know, so, um, you know, I try not to get too close and, you gotcha. know, gotcha. And, gotcha. Um, and then as a, a, a male teacher now, you know, with all the things that's going on in the country, you know, you, you know, it used to be a time where you're in the classroom and you could touch the student and grab the legs and put your legs up and everything, you know, you can't do that now, gotcha. you know, Um, Whenever I'm instructing, I never shut the doors. Parents can come in and see exactly how I am working with the kids. You know, I'm not screaming at them. I, you know, I make it very joyful, joyful for them, you know, to be there. Um, And I don't touch, (laughs) you know. and I used to have this intimidating stick that I used to thump on the floor, but I don't even use that. <laughs> you anymore. moved on from that. <laughs> yeah. Well, how many how many boys uh, are you typically teaching? Well, right now I have two boys. Okay. You know, I uh, up until the pandemic hit, I had about five boys that I was working with, and we went for uh, almost two years of no classes of so shutting mm-hmm. down, and you know, uh, most of the kids have. You know, gang weight, or you know, the boys are, are older now, and um, you know, aren't kind of into um, different things, and you know, and now they, you know, don't want to do it because now they fell behind. Well, you know, like pretty much all the kids, you know, and I think that not just you know our school, but I realize in terms of a lot of other schools, dance schools in the area, lost a lot of students. Sure, you know, because of the pandemic, you know, and kids that were doing very well, you know, set out almost two years. And th- that's the one thing about dance. You can't sit two, two years out. Right. You know, you, there's just no way you can come back and,
1: you know. And you said you, you were taking two or three classes a day when you were yeah. in New York City. Right, so, yeah, right. what you have to do if you're going to, to stay with it. Right. What about, all right, so I'm a, I, I have a son in the city of Buffalo, and he's looking for something that I want my son to have an activity to do and I'm thinking I'm probably not a lot of fathers are thinking of a ballet. What are you telling them? What, what, what are you telling those parents?
3: Well, you know, like the, 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 I have some fathers that came in and, you know, and asked, you know, um, and, um, but they're not sure because, um, it's still that st- stigma that you have to, you know, break, you know, in terms of when it come down Dancing doesn't make you gay, <laughs> you know. I went through that for many years, you know, where that, like I said, I started with 14 boys, you know, right. 14 of us. And we all started dropping out one by one because they were thinking, you know, well, if, if I share, you know, people think, they may think I ain't, you know, gay and, you okay, know. And, okay, okay. And, um, and I realized, you know, Dancing doesn't do that to you, you know, either you born that way or, you know, um, I have a brother that danced, he was gay, you know, and I think that kind of helped me understand the whole thing, and uh, and so, uh, and I uh, recall, even before I got married, I had girlfriends that I was dating, and, and then also, they just dropped out of the picture, and I couldn't understand why, you know, i come back home, and, you know, they didn't want to see me anymore, well, they thought I was gay, hmm. you know, so, the, so so years later after I get married, they you know they're asking me, "Oh, uh, you know, well, I thought you were gay, that's the reason why I, you know I broke it off, you know I was like, well, why do you think that I mean, it wouldn't have been better if you just ask me right, you know, right, but you know. So, but, that's, but that's
1: still something that you deal with, though. That's something I still I, I well, not I uh, but I mean, no. You know, but I'm no, saying yeah. I'm you you now this is you are yeah. the, the the shoes on the other foot. So right, to speak. right. You now have to be, explain he this to others. This to like fathers, you right. know,
3: who you know, um, that want their their sons to take dance, but then they're like, ah, I'm not sure, you know. Um, in in the building that we're in now, we have a um, a boxing club on the third floor. And some of the boys, you know, they come down with the interest, like, you know, I want to try, but then, you know, they're in question, you know, that um, if if I come down here and take class, then everybody else is upstairs going to think something Hmm. different, you know. So, you know, and I just say to them, you know, well, just think about it, you know. Um, You know, if if you're comfortable in terms of who you are, then you should not have no problem with that, you know. Right. You know, and that's the best thing you can do, you know. Um, but um, it's still that same old problem with, with fathers, you know. Um, and once the boys get, you know, between, um, it's okay for them to take dance, you know, between three and roughly about
1: nine or 10. But then once they get over 10, the fathers no longer,
4: you know,
3: they pull uh, them
1: out. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, we're, we're coming down to our, 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 our final moments here, but I do want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, your theater, on it's on uh, Leroy, three oh seven Leroy, yeah, 30, uh, right here in, in Buffalo. You just moved over there. How how did the the transition go for you? Oh, uh, it was rough. Uh, yeah. um, we were like I said, we were in
3: the Tri-Main. Um, one of the reason why we moved to the Tri-Main was they they brought in another ballet school in the building, and we were at out of each other. We were basically doing the same old thing. People were getting confused, hmm. <laughs> you know. And, um, and I understand, you know, uh, the owner, you know, I mean, it's business with him in terms of rent and, you know, um, so, um uh, with all the problem that was going on, I said, well, I think it's time for us to move, you know, and every time I would try to come up with, um, a new way of doing things, it, it got botched, you know, and some, you know, because of being mm-hmm. in the building. So, um we went into 307 Leroy. That was, um, basically the building was really in bad condition, you know? So I, um, the owners came in and did, you know, some basic repairs and stuff like that. Um, um, once we, we moved in, the pandemic hit, you know? Mm. And so I was unemployed, you know, and all of my unemployment check went into fixing up parts you know of the building you know interior you know in terms of the studio laying out the bars the mirrors and um on the second floor I put in a small theater called the inbox theater fully equipped with us I built the stage personally um put the lights up you know sound system you know next door has a cafe so during intermission you know where patrons can go and have coffee or you know um um snacks um and then the kids have a game room, you know. So whenever they're waiting out parents or they have free time, they can go up in the game room and play. Um, you know, we uh, and then we were able to um, convert the uh, the main studio in to small in terms of having small events. You know, for something like Claire Tea Party, which is coming up on December fourth. Um, you know, we can rent the hall out to um, for like small wedding reception and things like that, you know. Right. So, um, there were it gave us uh, more opportunity to expand, you know, beyond just um, just teaching the dance, you know, classes to to, to kids. Um, now, we, you know, we can rent the little theater, you know, to uh, young um, dancers who don't have a home to perform or. Um, um, a lot of kids are into now nowadays into poetry, and you know. Mm-hmm. So we have a a place where, if you're just starting, you could come in for very few bucks. You know, a uh, hundred dollars, two hundred dollars. You know, to rent the space for a week. You know, it's available.
1: And when you said, um, you know, when you're waiting on parents, you told me the story before, and I hope you don't mind sharing it uh, with our listeners. But on May fourteenth of this year, you were at school. Um, yeah. waiting on parents, and you very likely would have been going to Tops. That right, time. right.
3: And because of those parents were late picking up, you
1: know, like one or two um, parents
3: were late picking up their child, um, I would probably <laughs> have been at that, that store on that day, you know. At that time. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, you know, I guess, you know, luck was on my side, you know, to be, de- be delayed and um i got in the car and um and heard about it because i was on my way to that that top <laughs> and when i heard it, i said okay well i guess i'm heading straight home from there right. you know so and you live in the neighborhood i lived in the neighborhood for over 25 years you know and just a block away from you know that tops market
1: how are things in the neighborhood right now um
3: you know i still think people are feeling the pain you know people are still angry you know Um, you know I I I do believe um, you know, things will get better. (laughs) You know I feel very sure sure of that. Um, um, but for me, um, whenever I go down, you still have that in the back of your head every time you enter the the store. Right. You know, because I still you know have that feeling when I go there. Um, even though they they you know they up security. But you know, you still just have that sure. that feeling when you walk in.
1: Yeah, you guys are going to have your Nutcracker performances at at the uh, theater right. on the Avenue, right? Right, right. Yeah. Now it's it's not our standard
3: production. Our standard production we us- usually do at um, uh, Buffalo Academy for Visual Performing Arts. Um, so, like I said, we built a, a box theater, so it's a scaled down version. So, it's, uh, sixteen
1: by sixteen, right? Is that right?
3: Uh, yep. 16 by 19. 16 by 19, okay, yeah. sorry, yeah. And uh, so we had scaled down the sets to that. Now, the the only difference is that when you're in a the full theater, you don't get to see all the stuff that happens behind the, the theater, you know, okay. of changing all you know, the sets and, you know, the, the, the scenery, the lights. And, you know, well, here, you get to feel all that and see all that. Wow. So you get to see how the show is actually put together without the curtain closing <laughs> sure you know and I found people really enjoy that you know because they never you know sell all the things that goes on in between you know so it's, it's a nice little intimate experience you know for
1: families and that's uh coming up uh, in the, December right we do, yeah we're doing it two
3: weekends uh, because we only can we only could see max about 30 people per oh, show so a very
1: intimate uh, yeah. gathering right right
3: yeah uh, so that's December eleventh, no December tenth and eleventh. Right. Uh, so two shows on Saturday, one show on Sunday, and then the following weekend, the seventeenth and eighteenth.
1: Nice, nice. And uh, open to the public. Anybody want, wants to uh, come? Yep, can yeah. you come on and check it out. Yes. What will they see? What what, 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 what? Give a, 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 your your sales pitch. Uh, and what, what, what makes it a special moment?
3: Uh, well, what makes it a special moment, like I said, is to um, come in and um, and feel the. Uh, it has a nice feeling in terms of Christmas, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, and especially, um, you know, this one scene. Everybody loved it, the 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 snow scene, you know, um, the lighting effects, and you know, and you know, with the snow snow just floating down and. You know, and I, I think they get more fun out of the kids' reaction than than you know because the kids are looking up. They're supposed to be <laughs> on stage, performing, but they're up looking at the snow falling down, and you know it's like wow, whoa, you know. <laughs> and so the parents are laughing, like because they get a, a a real kick out of it, you know. Sure. So it's 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 um, it's a nice, like it's an intimate, enjoyable scene, you know, and um,
1: so I say come out and. and um, experience that with us see what it's all about yeah so and somebody wanted more information uh, a website to go to they can go to the website which is um buffalocityballet.org okay all or right. they could just call um 716-833-1243 yeah. all right very good and uh, marvin askew is the executive director of buffalo city ballet thanks very much for joining us on buffalo what's next thanks for having me this is buffalo what's next
2: Hello, I'm host Thomas O'Neill White, and with me today to talk the arts and the Buffalo Braves is artist and MC Seamus Hawk, and also artist, writer, and archivist Kevin Ryan. Seamus and Kevin, thanks for being here today.
0: Thank you, brother. Thank you.
2: I have to correct you, it's Che. When, che. When you mention the artist, it's Che, bro. <laughs> che. <laughs> so Che, I described you. As an MC, do mm. I have the right of it, or are
0: MCs and artists one and the same? Well, you know, that's the Broadway Joe's days. You know, mm. MC—I I call myself a progressive rap cinema artist. That's that's the genre. Oh, name. what does that mean? Well, you know, we've been uh, focused on our media and and how we present our story through uh, you know very top-notch production quality, thanks to my peers. So, you know, that's the progressive rap cinema aspect of it.
2: Now, I want to play a clip um, that you have. You've got a song called WNY, um, and we're going to we're gonna play that right now. Jay, drop that, please.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. from the side my city where I sang making moves, got to get it for the team. New York, I just want to, got to shine, New York, kind of, type of. We we just out here busing. Busing. Out here
2: that's a track from 2018 and obviously it's named wny for western new york what were your feelings about the region then and have they changed at all uh to this current day
0: well wny is the working title we're, you know we're thinking about calling it new york western but uh uh, the beat was done by a producer by the name of Axon. He's in the Netherlands. And uh, it, it accompanying me on the track is, is my guy, Sonny, and Bless 3K, both out of Niagara Falls. And, you know, that was summer of 2018. Uh, I can only tell you about, you know, what, what was going on in my world at the time. So it was, uh, you know, it was some, some special times, some growth times. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're very proud of that record, and you know, we, we plan to put it out top of 2023
2: you've been you've been making music coming on like two decades now um what what got you into the art form to
0: be honest with you, you know uh my peers a special relationship with uh my guy uh, brb brendan robert boy he passed away when we were when we were kids but you know he was the the biggest influence on me when it came to the to the music you know put me onto the you know Tones and uh, you know corn, so you know it was uh, his that relationship. My peers, uh, my father, uh, he put me on the music as well. So,
2: what what type of music did your did your father put you on to? Jazz. Ah, he liked, same. He,
0: he like to play jazz a lot. You know Curtis Mayfield.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, so, uh, um, who are some of the artists you you've worked with? Um, I mean, this yeah. is a twenty twenty year career right
0: we're talking about well, you know if you, if you know you know you know um I've, I've kept it localized for quite some time but i've been blessed to you know touch some some bigger talents as well um but locally i, I had the honor to work with lance diamond the late great uh homie keith buckley mm-hmm. uh, john Salimi, Snapcase, brother john um my guys, right now I'm really zoned in and focused on with with, with Sonny and Bless 3K, so we're excited about that. Ooh.
2: What's the importance of keeping it local, working with these local artists and building building them up at the same time, building yourself up?
0: It's your foundation, you know. It's, it's what you know. It's who you are. Uh, you know, it's definitely you know coming out of Western New York is is icky, you know. So getting a perspective, I've been blessed to travel. Quite a bit, so um it's kept my perspective perspective sharp uh, but you know to to be local is is your identity man you know that's that's your story
2: what's what's you you described uh western New York as as icky um what's what's west what's the region not doing that you see going on uh in other spots that you've traveled to?
0: It's not supporting your talents, it's not supporting the, the artists that you know are your neighbors. The people who keep the culture alive, make it what it is. You know, um, you know, we're the real producers of, of of bringing interest to this place. You know, there's a lot of unique energy now. Buffalo's changing. You know, um, you know, a lot of developments. But you know, we need to figure out a way to get a nice little trickle down system. Some of that, some of those dollars to the creatives.
2: And that that actually leads me to my next question. You, we've we've discussed numerous things uh in the last 20 years or so you and you once described the region as a as a cultural wasteland now some folks may take issue with that but is it is it is not necessarily a negative connotation but what do you mean by cultural wasteland
0: love canal kisses baby you know uh, we're, we're close to it you know physically present uh the my perspective of it is, is you know the the, the people uh, unique. Uh, there's definitely characters where we are. It's just we never had the, the the correct outlet to express ourselves, you know. But I think time has come. Time is now. So what's what's going to
2: spur the revitalization Us? of the arts in this region? How how does how does that happen? Uh. Is it is it an issue of funding? Is it an issue of opportunity? Are those are those two things one and the same?
0: Well, no, uh, we've been hibernating. Uh, So, you know, the past four years, just been developing a a lot of life experiences with my team and I, but, you know, we've been prepping for this. You know, um, we have the label Team Radio Records, so, you know, we we merge what our belief systems are, you know, so we're pretty much a creative lifestyle record label that drives social impact through diversified brand collaboration. You know, we've, we've thrown parties, we've thrown events in the city since... You know oh nine oh shine hard but um you know the time is now we're we're energized tapped into the falls current we're charged up and
2: that's in, in team radio when did you
0: when did you start that up that was um Whew. it started off as a song you know it was a song in in uh, t- 2005 you know i got a tipped the hat to my father he uh I played him a beat it was a an ill tone beat I played him a beat over the phone and you know asked him what is what does it sound like what does this remind you of and he, he said Radio Raheem I'll do the right thing <laughs> so that put me back on Spike and you know watching the film you know and it's it's, it's the D battery scene, mm-hmm. you know? D mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> D mother. D. Yeah, <laughs> it started as a song that it just merged into more. Man, it just merged into a lifestyle. You know, um, us doing parties, events. Uh, it was, and then it acted as like a, a protective barrier uh, for me as I was as I am. and was maneuvering through the music business as well.
2: Uh, talk to me about talk to me about maneuvering. Through the music business i mean it's broken a lot of people it's uplifted a lot of people but what's what's been your experience you know navigating those waters
0: survival dna baby you know um not getting tainted um or jaded uh you know it's passion thing man If, if you love something you know when it's for you it'll come but you know i've been blessed to to swim in the waters you know it's tough if, if you disconnect for a second you, you, you lost all that that drive that that data and then you know it's hard to start over but you know I've been fortunate enough to to stay with it you know little by little from the sidelines um, you know my guys you know, Sonny and and blessed they've been a, a huge support system for me for the past five years just with their talent um, you know we've been at it since 2012 the first teamwork event. You know how we throw main street so mm-hmm. um but so survival, man. yeah
2: you're you're making music, you are you know throwing parties, promoting parties you are you also doing uh visual work,
0: yeah, you know, um on the side, you know how I was able to make. You know some coins touches, you know, being locations for film and television that came to town, and you know that spurred more of an understanding of of the type of work I've always been doing but but now knowing how you know if if there's not much opportunity for it, you, you got to create it yourself. So that's a, a lot of where um a lot of what I've been doing for the past couple of years is putting some things, some plans together.
2: We were just talking about the arts culture locally. And the merging of the arts culture is is but merging of the arts culture means there's a divide mm-hmm. currently. Uh, why is that? Why is there a divide? What do you see? What uh, are you seeing out there? M-
0: misunderstanding. You know, a lot of uh, people who have power. You know, they're cheapskates. You know, and, and they just think differently than than. Creatives do, um, but now we're living in time of cultural currency. You know, uh, the power of creative creativity in businesses is at the forefront. So um, I don't know. I, I think it just comes down to people coming together in the right rooms mm-hmm. and, and and fighting for a common cause. And and you know, obviously, this platform. You know what happened on on May 14th. You know that that definitely made things a little bit realer. For people, especially in our city. So yeah.
2: Are you afraid that that cultural currency may become bastardized?
0: Uh, I don't think it can. Bastardized. Why not? There's always a home, you know. There's always there's always a place of identity. Wherever that spirit lies, it's just the, the voice box. It's just the. The, the zeitgeist—you gotta ride the wave, right? It's, you know, I, you navigating really, those
2: waters. You,
0: you can't really ex- explain the process to those who just don't really know, you know. Mm-hmm. So,
2: you are always talking about helping in in your space, bringing up those who may not have an opportunity otherwise. These next generations of artists, what do they need to succeed? Um, especially, especially those kids who come from disadvantaged socio socioeconomic backgrounds.
0: Yeah, it's it's got to be embedded in your DNA now. You know, it's it's got to be your your magic star, your your passion chip. You know, you got so many opportunities nowadays, and so many uh, distractions. Uh, you have to be multi talented. You know, so. Uh, good luck (laughs) what
2: would you what would you say to uh to a 16 year old who's who's um trying to make their way as as an artist on you know maybe they're maybe they're into music maybe they're into visual arts uh what what's what's a piece of advice you'd give them
0: depends on what they got and what they look like
2: (laughs) why is that well, if they look like you,
0: if they look like me, what you got? <laughs> you know, so we move a little different. So you know, I've I've given my my time and energy to others for for a long time, and now you know I gotta get selfish with it a little bit. Things have changed, you know, in my world. Mm-hmm. I'm a father now, and you know I got a team now that has been believing in me, and I believe in them, and we've 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 built this boat, you know. Now so we gotta ride it.
2: What would you tell your son if he wanted to follow in your in your footsteps? No comment right now. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um Kevin. Yes, sir. I wanted to talk to you um a bit about the archive that you're working on. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
4: I sure can. I am uh helping Chris Barbera with archiving 30 years of materials for Jesus, the liberator seminary of religious justice. And what they do, what they, how they started at the beginning, it was an organic process where they, the clergy, uh, Hugh Pratt and Jimmy Rowe, they wanted to know how to bridge the East side, the West side. And the seeds that they sowed it eventually evolved into outreach to prisons and not just local prisons but throughout the whole country and archiving through these records it's an extraordinary amount of material that i've seen
2: and so it's 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 not just local it's across the country across the country what what I, there's got to be some interesting stories
4: in there. Absolutely. what well, One of the hiccups that we're finding right now is trying to make sure that we get release forms so that we don't put any's pers- anybody's personal information out there. Mm-hmm. and that. But we're going to be working with somebody through the state as well, hopefully, and we'll take it from there. But one example would be there is a collection just simply titled, it's a book, in book format already, called Death Row Poetry by people who wrote poetry on Death Row. Wow. Wow. Have you taken a look at that? Yes. It's powerful. What, what spurred you to do this? Well, God bless Chris. Glory, <laughs> glory be to God and, and Chris, because being an artist, it is, it's hard to earn money in the city and being true to your art form. And Chris and I met, and he also is a writer. And when we first met, we would explain each other the theology and different ideas of belief that we had. And then he knew that I was trying to write also in a theological aspect, and he asked me if I would help him because my previous work experience, coincidentally, was doing archival work. Oh, okay. And it just, the synergy there was perfect.
2: Excellent, excellent. Um, what's, what's in store for the both of
4: you in the near future? Uh, Kevin, uh, start me off. I have been developing for the last four years now a, my own theology. It didn't even evolve into that, but it is this story of being a working class artist and creating that type of theology, but using the Cain and Abel story. And enabling Cain is the working title I've been going with, okay. and that that's in my future.
2: your your religion
4: is is close to you. It is very much so. yes. It, I can say this firmly, and this is the beauty of of what occurred here on May 14th is the grace. and it it, it is amazing grace. And I've sojourned in Jamaica for several years. And the grace that is on that island is amazing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, me being a white person living in a black nation and then coming back to Buffalo, it's tricky because there is a serious divide in our city when it comes to segregation. And when I'm in Jamaica, I am embedded in living with, you know, Jamaican family. Mm -hmm. It's not like,
2: oh, you know, over here, stay over
4: there. Everyone is mingling together, those that are brave enough to leave the resort. And that does that's a whole other topic. Oh bro. yeah. <laughs> it definitely is. It yeah. definitely is. Um
2: Jay, what's next for you, brother?
0: Showing some love and respect to my guy Tim Wendell, author of Buffalo Home of the Braves. He's throwing a little something at the, the History Museum this week, so I'm I'm excited for that. Um his book is a, a wonderful piece if if you're if you are a Braves fan, Clippers fan. A lover of the nba culture you know it's it's, it's been my bible so <laughs>
2: yeah talk, talk to me a little bit more about this uh this this event uh this is wednesday we're Correct. talking about right mm-hmm. at the at the buffalo history museum mm-hmm. it's focused on the buffalo braves you ha- have you done work uh not like with the braves or the clippers but you're kind of you're embedded with them a little bit or with with what's going on here
0: yeah you know Oddly enough, it spurred in, like, 2008. There was a management company that I was rocking with, and they made shirts, and, and you know, a few people out there might still have it, but it was, like, the Buffalo Chase, Buffalo Braves team. <laughs> you know, so it, it always stuck a little bit, but, you know, in 2013, um, uh, there was a rough split uh, musically, and, um, you know, in order to get my engine going, I, I, uh, I just wanted to know more about the, the cultural divide and... and, and place that I call home. I wanted to learn a little bit more, so I came across some angles, some stories One being the Buffalo Braves, so I I just started doing uh, some investigative work on that, and um, also the the Color Musicians Club. You know, there's a single out there, Dirty Rich, where, you know, I show love to the the African-American Heritage Corridor in that space, but you know, I was just curious to to understand the the, the character and the temperament of, of the place. Buffalo, New York and, you know, Braves has been one of those vehicles and you know tim's book you know i got that many years back and I ran through it three times with the highlighter but it's been <laughs> a beautiful source material and you know I've, I've been honored to to meet with tim several times and cool to call him a friend but you know he's 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 gonna be doing this thing on wednesday so i'm looking forward to that any
2: anything interesting from the book i mean I've, i know a little bit about the braves i know at one time they had uh they had McAdoo, they had Ernie D, they had uh Randy Smith, and they had they had Moses Malone for about two days before yep. before trading him. But any, any any uh interesting uh things that have come from the book? Well, you know,
0: um what I gather overall is that Buffalo had the opportunity of being a championship team in the late seventies, you know, because they were putting something together. Coach Jack Ramsey as a coach, mm-hmm. you know, ownership questionable. But you know, it was new, it was new back then to a lot of people. They didn't know what the, the value, and obviously, they didn't either. You know, because yeah, you know, the next two years, if the Braves would have stayed, you know, that's the, that's the Jordan, you know, that's the magic, that's the bird, that's all that era. So, that's when the NBA got hot. But, um, you know, Randy, he's uh. He, he's the cat that I was most attracted to, you know, he was a triathlete, you know, went to Buff State. Yes, Buff you know, State. You know, <laughs> so, so he, was a, he was a superstar out there. So um, I, I've been inspired by him and his spirit. Um, I was I was fortunate enough to run to a friend of his who also graduated with him, uh, Derry Burns. Uh, he's been very dedicated to honoring his man Randy, you know. So, um, you know, he, he's been on that mission, and I've been trying to assist him as well but it looks like buff state's gonna honor him soon with the with the new soccer pavilion so they're gonna name you know name it after randy uh, but you know musically creatively the, the project that we're gonna release top of uh 2023 is is a, a project called 2014-2016 that i've had on ice but it was like my my uh my uh, resurrection, if you could call that, you know, uh, of getting back on the scene, right? And mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Braves—that theme resonates with me, you know. So uh, we, we want to do something special with Buff State. So we have some some ideas, and um we're definitely ready to honor Randy in a cool way. And um but yeah, you know, that conversation, basketball town, man. <laughs> we're a <we're in> basketball <laughs> town, bro. You we, are. Know
2: it, we are. You we know? are. Yep. So, oh yeah. Um. The last thing I wanted to ask both of you and it's something I ask all my guests um and Jay we'll start with you what does buffalo need from where you're sitting
0: what does buffalo need better neighbors that care you know need a little bit more of that you know I think I think we're oof. I'll just leave it at that
4: All right all right and and Kevin belief And i got to give my propers to Che on that because he said, I heard him earlier in an interview say, what does Buffalo need? It's belief. And it's belief in each other. It's belief that we can get better. Belief that we'll get through it. Sky's the limit. Mm.
2: You are listening to Buffalo What's Next, our daily discussion on race, education, and other issues. Following the tragedy of 514. I'm host Thomas O'Neill White, and I want to thank my guests, Che and Kevin Ryan, for being here today. Thank, thank, you, thank you. Thank you. Guys. Thank you.
4: Praises and blessings. You're
2: listening to WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.